welcome to Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Join us every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio for a look at the life, deeds, and words of Yeshua Messiah and his followers. From the Torah-centric Hebraic perspective, they were originally lived and written in. Today's program is on Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, through chapter 14, verse 14. What's the difference between the wheat and the darnel weeds? Which one is the rarest? Why don't we have to be afraid of what the wicked may do to us? Even though we are in the world, what sets us apart from the world? In whom or what can we have our confidence? And what is the end of the righteous versus the end of the wicked? Stay tuned through the end of this program for insight from Eliyahu ben David on these questions and more in Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, through chapter 14, verse 14. And now, here's today's first scripture portion. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, through verse 58. Yeshua set another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while people slept, his enemy came, and sowed darnel weeds also among the wheat, and went away. But when the blade sprang up and brought forth fruit, then the darnel weeds appeared also. The servants of the householder came and said to him, Sir, Didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did this darnel come from? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest perhaps while you gather up the darnel weeds, you root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the harvest time I will tell the reapers. First, gather up the darnel weeds, and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. He said another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is smaller than all seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and lodge in its branches. He spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was all leavened. Yeshua spoke all these things in parables to the multitudes, and without a parable he didn't speak to them, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken through the prophets, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden from the foundation of the world. Then Yeshua sent the multitudes away and went into the house. His disciples came to him, saying, 
explain to us the parable of the darnel weeds of the field. He answered them, He who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed, these are the children of the kingdom. And the darnel weeds are the children of the evil one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. As therefore the darnel weeds are gathered up and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that cause stumbling and those who do iniquity, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be weeping and the gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and hid. In his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who is a merchant seeking fine pearls who having found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some fish of every kind, which when it was filled, they drew up on the beach. They sat down and gathered the good into containers, but the bad they threw away. So will it be in the end of the world. The angels will come forth and separate the wicked from among the righteous, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be weeping and the gnashing of teeth. Yeshua said to them, Have you understood all these things? They answered him, Yes, Lord. He said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been made a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a man who is a householder, who brings out of his treasure new and old things. It happened that when Yeshua had finished these parables, he departed from there. Coming into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother called Mary and his brothers Jacob, Yossi, Simon, and Judah? Aren't all of his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all of these things? They were offended by him. But Yeshua said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. He didn't do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And now, here's Eliyahu ben David on these word pictures of the kingdom. Shalom, friends. I'm kind of excited about our discussion we're talking about some word pictures, word pictures of the kingdom, otherwise known as the parables of Yeshua Messiah from Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 through 58. And in these parables, Yeshua reveals secrets, mysteries of the kingdom that are not meant for everyone. So I'm really glad you're here tonight to take in some of these secrets. It's going to be kind of fun. For us, talking about this treasure that we have and how some people see it 
and give everything for it, and uh, to other people, they don't see it. And um, talking about it from the standpoint of the Darnell weeds and the wheat. And looking at the difference between the two. It's a little scary when we think about it, isn't it? It's a little scary to think how believers can have people who essentially are like weeds sowed in their midst. And not only that, but that is to continue right until the end of the age. So it is. It's a scary thought, I think, for many of us as believers. And it's worth really thinking about and praying about because there are profound things here, really, that Messiah is wanting us to understand. I just thought because this is such a profound thing, I wanted to talk about it from the standpoint of the difference. Because outwardly, the weeds and the wheat look very much the same. You know, when they come to meetings, they're going to be dressed a lot alike. They're going to use the similar language. You're not really going to be able to tell one from the other. And I don't really advocate saying, oh, that person's a weed. That's not really what I'm talking about. However, it is important for us to kind of see what the difference is between the weeds and the wheat. And one way of seeing it is this. The weeds love the world, and the wheat love the Word. And you know, the world and the Word are in conflict. They're in conflict. They've been in conflict since the Garden of Eden, right? When Adam and Eve, under the influence of the old snake, departed from Yahweh's ways. This is when the evil world was actually created from that bad choice. And Yahweh said that, you know, there would be essentially two seeds that would grow in the world. And that would be the seed of the woman, which is the seed of Israel, the true Israelites, and the seed of the serpent, Satan, in the world. And, you know, this is not a literal seed, necessarily. This is a matter of the heart. And where our heart is determines who our real father is. Well, I have some verses we could look at about this the first thing I'd like to see here is Yohanan, John, chapter 17. And this particular chapter, sometimes called the priestly prayer, really grabs my heart because what this is reporting for us is the prayer of Yeshua Messiah for us the night before he died. So that's profound, isn't it? Let's just say you knew that tomorrow you were going to die. Don't you think what you prayed about would be of profound importance? Well, that's what's in this chapter. Some of the things that were the most important for Messiah as he was about to leave this world and leave us, his disciples, his Talmudim, behind in the world. Let's 
read a little bit of what he says. He says, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. That is in the Father's name. He says, none of them is lost except the son of destruction that the Scripture might be fulfilled. This is a little disturbing because here he's talking about a son of destruction, in this case, Judas Iscariot, who was like a weed sown in among the disciples and eventually to create terrible havoc in their midst through the death of Yeshua Messiah being an instrument to bring that about. And it's a very disturbing story. And yet, Messiah knew this was going to happen. And Yahweh knew it was going to happen. And he worked this into his plan so that all of us could have salvation. And let me just tell you, this is why you don't need to be afraid that there are weeds sown in among the wheat. Because even if you don't know who they are or you don't know what they're going to do, your Father in Heaven does know. And His plan already includes all of that. And if you stay in the vine, Yeshua Messiah, you don't have to worry about anything. Because you'll be where you need to be. Just like it says here, none of them is lost. You won't be lost regardless of what those others may do. Well, now Yeshua goes on. He says, now I come to you. He's saying to the Father, I'm about to come to you. I'm about to leave this world and return into the heavenly realm. And at verse 14, he says, the world hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Now that's quite an amazing statement, isn't it? We were all born in the world. We were all born of human parents who are made out of the dust. How could it be that we're not of the world? Ah, it's because if we are His, our spirit man has been made alive. We've been adopted into the kingdom. So we are not of the world, we're of the kingdom. We are of Messiah. So even as He is not of the world, we're not of the world. We are children of the living God. And he says this, he says, I pray not that you would take them from the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. Don't you need that every day? It's an evil world out there. You just see all these evil things going on every day. Maybe you feel sometimes, how long, oh Lord, until this is all over and I can finally be with Messiah, we can all be with Messiah, and the evil will be done. Well, that day is coming, but it hasn't come yet. There's things that have to unfold. So until then, we need Him to keep us from the evil one. And He can do that. And if that's in our heart, 
and we're asking him to do that, he will do that in our lives to protect us from the evil one who will attack us, right? So we have to be on our toes about this. We have to understand this is going to happen, and then we need to run into that refuge of Yeshua Messiah when the enemy is coming and look to him to keep us. Now he says this again, they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. So he keeps repeating this about his own. They're not of the world. And he says then, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. To sanctify means to set apart. Do you know that it is the truth that sets apart the children of God? It's the truth. It's through knowing the truth of His Word and putting that to work in our lives, living that out, that we become set apart from the world. And you know what? We really don't care what the world is doing. What we care about is what is in the Word and what it is saying to us about how we need to live to please Him. That's how it is for the wheat. That's what the wheat is really focused on, right? Is the Word and living out the Word. goes on, As you sent me into the world, even so I've sent them into the world. So it's pretty simple when you look at this. Basically, we have the Word. That's what we have in this world. And just like Messiah was sowing the Word, that's what we're doing in the world. We're sowing the Word to produce fruit for the kingdom. And there's a separating work going on. And we know it's just a minority that are going to respond. We know that from the Scriptures. We know it from the parables. Messiah didn't leave us in the dark about any of that. Well, let's look at how this kind of breaks down in real life. This dichotomy between the world and the Word. Philemon, chapter 1, verse 24 Paul writes, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Paul did not work alone. He had fellow workers that worked in the mission with him, scattering the word, sharing the word, building up the congregations, doing the work that was given to him. And Demas was one of his fellow workers. Demas was a brother. Demas was even a ministry partner of the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine that opportunity? Just think, if you could have been a ministry partner of the Apostle Paul, is that not a mind-blowing idea? That's just an incredible thing. When you think about who the Apostle Paul was and the revelation that he had, the knowledge that he had of Scripture, the way that he lived that out, just to be able to walk with him and serve the kingdom with him would have been an amazing privilege. 
And these brothers did that along with Demas. But you know what happened to Paul eventually? He ended up in prison. He didn't rob a liquor store. He was not a drug pusher. He didn't do any of the things that criminally harm people. He shared the word of the kingdom fearlessly. And for this, he was branded a criminal and was thrown into prison. Well, when this kind of thing happens, it tests people. You know, like when Paul was having this great success, people kind of wanted to revolve around his aura, <laughs> if you know what I mean. They wanted some of his great success and even notoriety among the believers to rub off on them. It was a great privilege to be thought of as being with him. But now that he's in prison, well, it's kind of a different thing. It sort of calls his character into question among a lot of people because he's in prison. And it's dangerous. Because you know what? If you're hanging around with him, you're doing the things he does, what could happen to you? So this tests people. And in 2 Timothy, he's writing to Timothy from his condition, being under arrest. And he says to Timothy, be diligent to come to me soon, for Demas left me, having loved the present world. And then he goes on and went to Thessalonica. Crescens to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. So Paul ended up in prison and everybody left him except Luke. Luke was the only one that didn't leave him. Now I find it interesting the way it lays this out because it tells us about Demas. It has this negative statement about Demas. Demas left me having loved the present world. For Paul to say that, it must have been very obvious because Paul is not one that would just make false accusations. Especially when we look at these other people, Crescens and Titus. He doesn't say anything like that about them. So one thing I see out of this is people can leave for various reasons. People don't always leave because they love the world. It doesn't tell us what the reasons were of these other brothers, but it doesn't say they loved the world. Maybe they had family responsibilities and needed to leave. Maybe they had ministry responsibilities that were taking them somewhere else. Maybe Messiah had something else for them in some other place. So it doesn't tell us, but it doesn't say something negative about them. Only with Demas does it give us a motive, having loved this present world. That's what took him away. And, you know, he tried it for a while, right? He was drawn into the ministry somehow. There must have been something in him that 
was drawn to the kingdom, drawn to the people of Yahweh, of Messiah. But this only served to make him see that he wanted other things. He wanted the world. And he went to a place where he could find it because Thessalonica was a major metropolitan city where you could find everything that you're looking for in the world. And he chose to do that at the time when Paul needed him the most. So this can happen. I know even while I'm talking about this, that this brings up a certain amount of heartbreak for people that have been believers for a while. We can all think about people like this, people that have come along, people that seem to be even producing fruit. And then, through love of the world, they go on to do the things of the world and leave the kingdom behind. And we think, wow, how could that ever happen? It's very disturbing when you see that happen. And that can happen because they love the world more than they love the Word. Very simple. It's just working out something. People make these choices themselves. Nobody else makes these choices for them. Judas was Judas because he was Judas. Not because Messiah did anything wrong. It's just how it works. Weeds are going to be weeds and wheat are going to be wheat in the end of it. That's how it works. Yohanan, in First Yohanan, First John, this is near the end of his life now. All the other apostles are all dead now. He's the only one left. He's been walking this out. This is what you might call the end of the apostolic age when he's writing. He's seen a lot in that time. He says, don't love the world, neither the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the Father's love isn't in him. And he says, for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, isn't the Father's, but is the world's. Oh, people dream, don't they? They dream. They dream of the big house. They dream of the expensive car. They dream of having that spouse who looks perfect, who dresses perfect, makes them seem perfect. If that's what is motivating them, that's what the love of the world is. Seeking after that, that's what the love of the world is. But we should remember this next verse. The world is passing away with its lusts. But he who does the will of Elohim remains forever. So, it's a very temporary thing. 
satisfying the lust after the world. It's a very temporary thing. And I'm not saying it has no appeal. Satan does everything he can to make it have appeal. It does appeal to all the senses. The world does that. It has lots of appeal, but does it offer eternal life? And in this world, does it offer true satisfaction? Does it offer true fulfillment and happiness? The world doesn't offer those things. It's a false promise. Goes on, by this we know that it is the final hour. Now, when he's saying that, he's not saying it's the last days. It wasn't the last days as we know them from Scripture at that time. It was the final hour of the apostolic period. They had come through it all, they had been warned that apostasy was going to enter in at the end of that period and that there would be certain ones like wolves that were going to lead away the disciples. They were told that. So that's what he's saying. By this we know. It's the final hour. We're looking around us and we're seeing all these believers that are all chasing after the world. What is this telling us? It's telling us that this time of the apostolic leadership is coming to an end. And it goes on and says, now talking about these people that love the world, they went out from us. Therefore, they didn't belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have continued with us. Very simple logic, isn't it? They left that they might be revealed that none of them belonged to us. Now realize there's lots of reasons why people leave from a certain location. And we're not saying that because somebody leaves that this means they're a weed. But if they leave because they're leaving the Word and they're chasing after the desires of the world, well, that's kind of a different matter, isn't it? That might mean they're a weed. But who am I to judge? I'm not a person to look at this person or that person and say, this is a weed, this is not. I am a person to look at my own heart. And when I read things like this, it reaffirms for me the choices I made in my life decades ago to make following the Word, being sanctified, set apart by the Word, my priority in my life. And all of you have to do the same thing. You have to decide. Are the things of the world going to be the foremost thing for me? Is that what I really love? Is that what my treasure is? Or are the things of Yahweh being set apart and sanctified by His Word? Is that something to pursue? I do know that's what the wheat do. That's what they treasure. Him and His Word. And that's just a precious thing, I think, for us to know. And it's so reassuring and encouraging with one another when we see that in one another. You know, when we see how 
Messiah is working in the lives of our brothers and sisters to sanctify them by the truth. It makes us all better. Each one of us, it makes us better as our brothers and sisters do that same thing and we do it all together. And of course, that's why we have these meetings, isn't it? So we can focus on the Word, that we can see these things that Messiah has said to us, that our spirit can be fed, and that we can be one of those people that remains forever. And I pray that's what will happen for all of us. More on the righteous after this short break. Enjoying this episode of Hebraic Insights in the Gospels? Want to hear more teachings from Eliyahu ben David? Tune in to our 24-7 internet radio station, Zion Road Messianic Radio. You can catch the latest episodes of Hebraic Insights in the Gospels before they're released as a podcast, learn more about what Zion Ministry teaches from our other programs, and listen to a host of uplifting songs from our independent Messianic music artists. To tune in to our station, go to zion.org. That's T-S-I-Y-O-N dot O-R-G. Or search for Zion Road Messianic Radio. Again, that's Zion spelled T-S-I-Y-O-N in your favorite internet radio app or station directory. Don't miss the latest episodes. Go to T-S-I-Y-O-N dot O-R-G and check the station's schedule to see what's playing. Welcome back. Here's the next scripture portion. Matthew chapter 14, verse 1 through verse 14. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report concerning Yeshua and said to his servants, This is John the Immerser. He is risen from the dead. That is why these powers work in him. For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John said to him, It is not legal for you to have her. When he would have put him to death, he feared the multitude, because they counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced among them and pleased Herod, whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatever she should ask. She, being prompted by her mother, said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Immerser. The king was grieved, but for the sake of his oaths and of those who sat at the table with him, he commanded it to be given, and he sent and beheaded John in the prison. His head was brought on a platter and given to the young lady, and she brought it to her mother. His disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Yeshua. Now when Yeshua heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat, to a deserted place apart. When the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. Yeshua went out, and he saw a great multitude. He had compassion on them, and healed their sick. And now, here's Eliyahu on the confidence of the righteous. 
great to be with you once again. I've given a theme to this overall meeting of the confidence of the righteous. You know, the confidence of the righteous is not arrogance because it's not a confidence in oneself. The confidence of the righteous comes from a knowledge of the one and only true God and of the absolute certainty of His Word and His promises. With a life that is founded on that, a person can be absolutely confident. This is going to be Matthew 14, 1 through 14. The story of John the Immerser. I just like this picture of John the Immerser in prison. A determined look, not a look of fear. It reminded me of Psalm 23, 4. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Elohim is with me. And getting back to our theme here, the confidence of the righteous. The righteous will not be intimidated by fear of loss because they have a fear of Yahweh that's much greater and they want to do what he says. So that's really pretty simple as to why the righteous have a greater confidence. Something I wanted to share with you tonight is the story about John that is from Flavius Josephus, the first century historian. He wrote about John the Immerser because John the Immerser was a public figure. He's part of the history of Israel. He's included in the history that we get from Flavius Josephus in his Antiquities of the Jews. We find some things about him. I'm going to read some of that. And I've abbreviated some of it to make it more readable. It's really quite extensive. So I boiled it down to the basic story. Let me read this to you from chapter 5. This is book 18. Herod the Tetrarch lodged with Herod, who was his brother. Herod lodged with Herod. Now, it's kind of like George Foreman and all of his sons named George. Herod had a number of sons, and they were all named Herod. And I think it's because he thought if any of them became great, then it would lift up his name. So he just named them all Herod. The ones that he didn't kill lived on and became kings themselves. So anyway... Herod the Tetrarch was one Herod and his brother Herod, who was also named Philip, by the way. Anyway, while Herod was visiting with Herod, he fell in love with Herodias, another Herod, the female version of the name Herod. So it's a little hard to follow here sometimes. And Herodias was this last Herod's wife who was their niece. Herod the Tetrarch and Herodias agreed to marry. So behind the back of this other Herod, this Herod, the Tetrarch, and his wife agreed that they were going to marry. So it says one article of this marriage also was this, that he should divorce 
Aretas's daughter. Now, Herod was already married to the daughter of the king of Arabia. And part of the deal with Herodias is they're going to have to get rid of this other wife. So, you know, all of this is wrong, according to the Torah. Every bit of it is wrong. The total thing is wrong. It's like, it's all incestuous within the family. The whole thing is incestuous, according to the scriptures. And then there's this unwarranted divorce. This is all wrong. Everything about this is wrong. So, what happens next? Herod's rejected wife soon came to her father, Aretas, and told him of Herod's intentions. So they raised armies on both sides and prepared for war and sent their generals to fight instead of themselves. And when they had joined battle, all Herod's army was destroyed. I don't think he expected that. I think that's quite an amazing outcome to happen to Herod and his army because of this incestuous, adulterous relationship. Now, some of the Jews thought that the destruction of Herod's army came from God, and that very justly, as a punishment of what he did against John that was called the Baptist. For Herod slew him, who was a good man, and commanded the Jews to exercise virtue, both as to righteousness towards one another and piety towards God, and so to come to baptism. And it goes on and explains a lot more there than what we can go into right now. So the thing is, Herod lost this war and all the people believed it was because he had murdered John, Yohanan. Because Yohanan was a righteous man. Do you think they were right about that? I think they were. I think it was very clear that Herod and his army did not have the favor of Yahweh when they went to battle in support of this sin that he was involved in. Well, it goes on and it tells us more here. Now, when many others came in crowds about him, that is about John, about Yohanan, for they were very greatly moved or pleased by hearing his words. Herod, who feared lest the great influence John had over the people, might put it into his power and inclination to raise a rebellion, for they seemed ready to do anything he should advise, thought it best by putting him to death to prevent any mischief he might cause. So, interestingly, Josephus leaves out the whole story about Herodias and her daughter and the dance and the oath and all of that. And that might have had something to do with the fact that there were still Herods and they were still murderers. So maybe you don't tell a story like that. But he does say here that he was afraid to do away with John on account of the people. And that is reiterated here. 
by Josephus in this story. But in the end, it was thought best to go ahead and get rid of John. And we know the impetus that he had, the reason finally why he went ahead and did that. And of course, this is why he put John in prison in the first place, right? Because he was afraid of the influence that John had. And all these guys like this, these kings, all these political people, okay? They all think that everybody else is just like them. There's not a chance on God's green earth that Yohanan the Immerser was going to raise up a rebellion against Herod like a political movement to become king. That's not what he was about. He was a prophet of Yahweh. But for Herod, that's all Herod could see, right? As a matter of fact, Herod was crazy and killed family members because he was afraid they wanted to take over his position. You see this a lot with these worldly kings and the Caesars and the Ptolemies, all these different ruling people. They always do this because they get so fixated on keeping their position and protecting themselves. And this is what happened to Yohanan. Not bringing himself into difficulties by sparing a man who might make him repent of it when it would be too late. So he was actually afraid that John was going to be able to raise up so much influence that he could force Herod to repent of what he had done. He didn't want that to happen. Accordingly, he, Yohanan, was sent a prisoner out of Herod's suspicious temper to Macarus, the castle I before mentioned, and was there put to death. Now the Jews had an opinion that the destruction of this army was sent as a punishment upon Herod and a mark of God's displeasure to him. Well, a little further along in this chapter, it talks a little bit more about Herod. Now, it's talking about the original Herod here and his family. He says, I have now a mind to describe Herod and his family, how it fared with him. For it happened that within the revolution of a hundred years, the posterity of Herod, which were a great many in number, uh, we can imagine with the way they lived, were, excepting a few, utterly destroyed. Yahweh kept track of what was going on, and he did not bless that family line. And they were like a family of vipers. And they met with a fitting end for a bunch like that. Another king wrote this. I've seen the wicked in great power spreading himself like a green tree in its native soil. But he passed away, and behold, he was not. Yes, I sought him, but he could not be found. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. Isn't that just what happened to wicked Herod and his wicked posterity? 
Should we be surprised that the Scriptures are right? This is why the righteous can have confidence. Because yes, sometimes it looks like the wicked are like totally taking over. It looks like they're getting away with all of their wickedness. And you know what? We've all seen a lot of this in the headlines. Especially over the last year or so, right? Just wickedness running rampant and nobody doing anything to really stop it. But friends, don't let that fool you. Because there is such a thing as justice, and it does catch up with those people. It does. And Yohanan knew that. Yohanan, like the many prophets before him, was sent to speak a word to the king. He had the confidence that he was speaking for Yahweh. He knew the possible results because you know what? He wasn't the first prophet to ever lose his life for speaking the truth to the king. It's what you might call an occupational hazard for prophets. You know, I think about Yeshua. Now, this Herod was thinking that maybe Yeshua was actually Yohanan. Kind of dangerous, I think, for Yeshua. And Yeshua did go to another place. Prudent. And not an evidence in any sense of being afraid. His time had not yet come. What's important is what is Yahweh's will for you? Why should you fight a battle that you're not called to fight? Yeshua had his own battle to fight. So, you know, there's the lesson too from Yeshua. Don't go picking fights with people. Fight the battles that Yahweh gives you to fight. Those are the ones you'll win. The other ones, probably not. Here's some other verses I like. Psalm 34, 21. Evil shall kill the wicked. Those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. When you get into the kingdom in the resurrection... Don't you expect to see Yohanan the Immerser there? What about Herod, who had him killed? Do you think you're going to see him in the kingdom? Do you think there's a place prepared for him? Psalm 37:28. For Yahweh loves justice and doesn't forsake his holy ones. They're preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. Just what happened with Herod, isn't it? His family cut off. But the righteous are preserved forever. Well, you could say, well, yeah, but if that's true, how come Yohanan was killed? But is death the end? Not for the righteous. It's our eternal life that matters. 
Listen, everybody dies. You know, I thought it was kind of funny with uh, Dr. Atkins, a guy who taught about health all of his life. Very healthy guy. Taught about longevity. At 70 years old, he tripped on his driveway and hit his head and died as a result of that. He didn't live any longer than anybody else, even though he spent his whole life concentrating on health. When your time comes, you're going. You're going. Wouldn't you rather have that be for something that matters instead of tripping on your sidewalk? We should all be rejoicing for Yohanan the Immerser because he died for something that mattered and there's a reward waiting for him because of that. Here's a promise in Revelation chapter 2, verse 8 through 10, a promise for the overcomers. And may we all be among the overcomers here in these last days. This is Yeshua speaking. The first and the last who was dead and has come to life says these things. Now, why do you think he starts out saying that? The first and the last who is dead and has come to life says these things. I'm going to tell you why he said that. Because he is our guarantee. The fact that he died and was raised up again is your guarantee that if you put your faith in him, that can happen for you will happen for you. That's why he said that. And he goes on and he says, Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And you will have oppression for ten days. Be faithful to death, and I will give you the crown of life. Well, what is the next step after prison? You either get out or you don't. You don't know. Right? You don't know which way that's going to go. And so we all have to take that admonition to heart. Be faithful to death and I will give you the crown of life. We don't know what's going to happen with any of us. You know, I hope that we all survive to the coming of the Lord. That'd be glorious. But some of us are going to be called like John to something else. Some of us are going to be called to give an answer to Satan. To show through what we do that our Father in Heaven is more important to us than even our earthly life. If that should happen, 
If we find ourselves facing that, we're going to need to remember this. Be faithful to death and I will give you the crown of life. Is that not a promise? Is that not a promise from the Son of God? That if you are faithful to death, you will receive the crown of life, eternal life. And what can Satan do to take that away from you? That must frustrate him to death. He can't touch that. He cannot touch your eternal life. This is our promise and our confidence. Our confidence is firmly set in Yeshua Messiah and the promise He has given us of eternal life. This is the confidence of the righteous. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Elohim is with me. have been listening to Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Further teachings and study materials on various related topics and others can be found at our membership site, Zion Tabernacle. Sign up is free. Just go to zion.net. That's T-S-I-Y-O-N dot N-E-T. Or click the membership link on the Zion Road website. New programs on the Gospels will be airing every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio. Join us next Shabbat to learn more in the book of Matthew. Shabbat Shalom! Ask for the ancient